I'd like to share a little bit about how every day is a good day. And the simple truth of this flow, this continuous flow, is so hopeful. We can rest in this optimism that has evidence right in front of us. We just need only look. And we can see that everything is changing all the time. So your vow can only be expressed right now. You can cultivate your vow right now. Maybe just taking a moment to connect with one of your vows, just being aware of it as it lives right now. And you can meet that, meet the world with that. Whatever arises. Or we can bring this question, how can I express my vow right here, right now, just sitting quietly? At the same time, it may be that someone, something, is in need of your vow, is in need of your life energy. And it may be that it's time to take responsibility or to take a step forward, to take care of something or someone, to grab a shovel or a broom or a pen or a computer or a toilet brush and respond to what moves your heart, your heart. Not what you think you should do. What moves your heart? What's coming from within? I ran across a quote from Viktor Frankl, the survivor of the concentration camps, who wrote about how the importance of meaning in our lives, and that's what enabled him to survive even there, he knew that he wanted to bring forward this deep understanding. So this, but this other quote I found from him about taking care of something, taking responsibility, he says, freedom is in danger of degenerating into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsibleness. That is why I recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast be supplemented by a Statue of Liberty, or a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. Let me read that again. Freedom is in danger of degenerating into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsibleness. 
That is why I recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast be supplemented by a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. Now, how come we on the West Coast had to get the Statue of Responsibility, though? But I, I see his point. I think it's I think it's a beautiful point, and we've seen how the word liberty is thrown around and a lot of different behavior is justified with that particular word, and yet it could very well be a living vow. How can it be rooted in responsibility and care and connection, promoting the well-being of other people? What can we step forward to care for? What can we step forward to participate in when everything is alive and everything is participating? The only thing unnatural is holding back, hesitating. And that is miserable. What is needed from you? What if you let go of the outcome, your idea of what ought to happen? Let go of the idea of a result. Let go of getting a good grade. And I know that's hard. Believe me, I know that's hard. Can we truly be present to this moment, this life, this life and its radiance, this total miracle that is right here? When we're really present, aware of what's happening, we really ought to be falling down on the floor in gratitude. I honestly don't know how we're functioning because we should really just be on the floor in gratitude, in utter amazement at our good fortune, that we can practice here together, that we can connect from anywhere and practice together, that we're the inheritors of this lineage, these teachings, these teachers. I mean, this really could or should be my talk, but um, we all have even our own inheritance and it's, it's monumental, it's so beautiful. We have so much, we each of us have so much to offer. When we're really present with this, we can see that all is well. The comparing mind, the perfectionist mind, the judging mind, all of that is presenting some idea other than what is. It's an idea. It's two-dimensional compared to what's real, what's here, what's, what's right here. I challenge all of you to, in, in some moment of spare time, to try to draw a dollar bill from memory. 
I challenge you to try to draw it in as much detail as you possibly can. Try to remember every little piece of squiggles and designs and where things are located on the dollar bill. And what will come forward most likely, for many of us, certainly for me, was just a cartoon with very little detail. It's just a, a, a barely even a representation of the complexity and the richness of simply the design of the dollar bill, this, this three-dimensional, this actual physical existing present. It's so different. Our mind and what we think, some idea that we have is like this two-dimensional imposter. Peace can only be found here, now. I am certainly sometimes beset with the worry of what people think of me. And when I look into that, it's basically taking refuge in other people's thoughts. Now, does that sound like a good idea? It, it isn't. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. Maybe you know for yourself. My own thoughts are unruly enough, let alone trying to control someone else's. I mean, it's hilarious when we let it be hilarious. If it's not so painful, it's hilarious. <laughs> so the West Coast Statue of Responsibility might be something to symbolize this, responsible for our own attitude, for, for our own vision of what's here, what's happening. When our vision is clear, we can see this. Like the koan, every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. Which kind of sounds, in a way, like a challenge. It makes the mind just immediately stand up and argue. Oh yeah? Well, what about, and fill in the blank, climate change, injustice, poverty, violence, disease, starvation, nuclear waste. And this isn't about stepping away from those things or pretending like they're not happening. Every day is a good day when we can meet these with our own heart, willing to connect. We may not solve these problems, but in the doing, there must be connection. In the doing, we bring forth our compassionate hearts. Or what are we doing? Every day is a good day. Viktor Frankl also says, the one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. 
Now he's the guy that your mind, when it says, well, what about, what about the Holocaust? He's the guy that has the answer to that. That is deep wisdom. But we should see for ourselves that every day is a good day when there are no expectations, no judgments, no comparisons. I found a tiny little poem by a guy named Archie Randolph. Ammons, A.R. Ammons, and he grew up on a cotton and tobacco farm plantation during the Great Depression, and he wrote, he started writing poetry when he was on a Navy destroyer in World War II, and after the war he completed his education and had a whole bunch of different jobs, and then he began a teaching career at Cornell University. Now there's someone who, who followed his heart So this poem is called Old Geezer. The quickest way to change the world is to like it the way it is. The quickest way to change the world is to like it the way it is. But this isn't about turning away from being of service. We can acknowledge what's here and then step forward. Speaking of every day is a good day, I found a book called Every Day is a Good Day, Reflections by Contemporary Indigenous Women. And I'd like to share with you a teaching by Audrey Shenandoah. She was an Onondaga clan mother, a member of the Haudenosaunee people of the Longhouse, which is a confederacy of tribes that may be more familiarly known as the Iroquois. She died in 2012. She here is talking about her people's spiritual ways and the ways of the dominant culture. She says, the main difference between our people and the world around us is our thankfulness and respect for the earth, our environment, and the natural world. In our way, every day is a good day. We would never think of asking for a good day what you would call a nice day in English. When it rains, people just accept it and go on. Our people know more about acceptance and contentment than our white brothers and sisters who seem to think that they have to be deliriously happy all the time. They are looking for something that their world doesn't offer them. It makes them unhappy if things are not the way they think they should be. They spend a lot of time trying to find happiness rather than finding peace of mind. Our seasonal cycle of ceremonies are to bring peace of mind. Healing is left to the Creator. I mean, here she's saying, 
we are present to what's here. We're taking responsibility for our own peace of mind. It's not out there. And that healing is left to the creator. We do the ceremony and let the chips fall. We let go of the outcome. As Hogan likes to say, have deep faith. She says, the spiritual values are the key to our survival. It is very important to keep the ceremonies going and perpetuate the ways our elders handed down to us. This should be paramount in our minds and in our lives. Today, we are having a hard time keeping our ceremonies going at the appropriate times because people have to work at a job in order to survive. There's no more subsistence from the land because the land base is so small. The hunting isn't that good. Our men and boys have to travel, travel far up north for good hunting and fishing. Some young people seem to think we're preoccupied with our traditions and old ways. They say, you've got to deal with reality, deal with what's real. Well, what is more real than the earth, the water, the wind, the plant life, and the animal life? All of that is real. The other world is not reality at all. In that world, there's an urgency to make lots of money and then stockpile it. They try to keep lots of money coming in so they can buy things they don't need. Everything is consumable and has to be replaced after it's used up. Everyone on television and radio were continually given the message that everything is a commodity, even people. It's a mixed up world if people believe that's the reality. I really appreciate here her connection to the ceremonies and it makes me think about our morning service in which we recite the names of all the ancestors, which is in so many ways, it's many things, but in, in one way it's a, it's a gratitude practice. Being grateful for how these teachings have been passed down, how these teachings have been given to us. So she goes on to say, our white brothers and sisters are always praying for something. They have no grounding or anything to tell them that things are all right. They're always in need of making things better, needing more, needing things should be better. I'm not trying to say it's not good to try to make things better. In fact, one of our traditional laws teaches us we're supposed to make things as good as we can. It's illustrated all the way through our history that we're supposed to do our best at whatever we're doing. And this is acceptable to the Creator. We have a story about a time when the faith keepers asked some men to go out and get 30 deer for the ceremony. So they went through the proper ceremonies to prepare themselves and cleanse themselves so they would have a good mind to go looking for food for the people. They went out and they tried their very best. When they came back, they had 28 deer and one small bear. They were not able to get 30 deer, but they had done their best, and this was acceptable to the Creator. So I bring that forward. I mean, I th it's amazing that 
doing your best is acceptable within that spiritual tradition, I think is kind of mind-blowing. We had a few conversations with folks working on their vows and uh, a lot of, of it, because this is so important, there's a lot of care that emerges here and, and, a, and a wish to really make sure we get it right. And I appreciate that. And yet doing our best really does count, really, in fact, is where most of our energy could, it could, could go. It could, it could be right there in, in appreciating ourselves and our earnestness. And if not our own, then somebody else's. You can hear it. She says that they give thanks for everything and acknowledge the worth of everything. The trees, the berries, the two-legged, the four-legged. And she says, acknowledge is a very important word in our language. You say it every time you meet someone. You acknowledge them as a sign of respect. In our language, you're saying, I'm thankful you are well when we meet. And when we acknowledge all the rest of creation, we are acknowledging their existence as equals to us. So there's so much in here. This not striving for happiness, to have peace in our own mind. And so many parallels to our practice here. When I was reading that, it, and, and I'm gonna share a few of my vows one of my vows is to fully realize there's nothing to attain. And I think the first few times I heard that phrase in the chant, nothing to attain, it, it did blow my mind. It, it, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine that this was a practice. Like what even was that, nothing to attain? Um, the other time my mind was blown in that way was one time Hogan, told me that Zen is not a self-improvement project. And uh, I was glad that I was sitting on, the, on a cushion because I probably would have fallen out of a chair if I was sitting in one. It was just a foreign concept. No self-improvement, nothing to attain. What are you talking about? But it's right here. Where else could it be? Where else could it be? The one thing, Viktor Frankl says, is you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond, to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. It's not out there. I appreciate Audrey Shenandoah talking about relying on the realness of the physical world, not arguing with the actual world, the physical world. And when we take refuge in nature, that's one way. It's a, it's a gentle reminder about how, and we can see how nature adheres to the law and doesn't argue, doesn't have some other idea about how things should be instead. The tree doesn't argue with the barbed wire fence. 
it just grows right around it, into it. The gazelles don't stand around obsessing about, can you believe that lion tried to kill me? I mean, the nerve. They're just, they just do their gazelle thing. They're just fully gazelles. When these thoughts of separation and those show up when we're angry, restless, skeptical doubt, all we need to do is just stop and breathe. Any of these hindrances that separate us from the realness of the physical world. This body and what it is experiencing is the real world too. We can reconnect with what's here in this way. And this doing your best is enough. Can we offer ourselves the same? Letting go of the outcome, accepting unintended consequences, or dare I say mistakes, seeing the value in the world just as it is, not less valuable than my idea. Another of my vows is to make mistakes with gusto. And that is about just seeing how mistakes are a realignment with the truth, a realignment with how things are. Sometimes it's like a chiropractic adjustment, realizing that I've been trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Mistakes, when you really watch them, is, are, are transformational. It's sort of, a, it's sort of a, a, an awakening in a way. I thought it was this one way. I realize it's this whole other way. What I was doing over here made no sense because look. If you could, it's, it's even kind of fun and, and certainly Zen practice offers many opportunities to really watch this in action. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And the amazing part about that is that you still get to continue. It's still a community. It still happens despite your mistakes. You can't ruin it. You can't mess it up. There is a bit of an allergy, I notice, an aversion to feeling awkward, which is an uncomfortable feeling for sure. But I will say that some people really isolate, really avoid that feeling and go to great measures to do so, to avoid anything where they might feel awkward and end up feeling really sad and depressed and not doing well as a result of that. So even just being willing to feel awkward, being willing to make some mistakes is a way to step into life. If feeling a little bit awkward is the price of admission for life, then yeah, 
I'll take that. Or at least uh, sort of build my capacity for tolerating the feeling of awkwardness. I think that is a powerful superpower right there. Making mistakes with gusto is about being present for my mistakes and not trying to sweep them under the rug, which I still often want to do. So I can keep my story about me, my, two do my, my dollar bill drawing about me, my two-dimensional story about me. And I want to convince you about it too. But it's just a story. And the fact is, I am doing my best at any given moment, and so are you. Can doing our best be acceptable? Can making mistakes be learning? Because it's a process. The whole thing is a process. Here's a quote from Carl Rogers. So while I still hate to readjust my thinking, still hate to give up old ways of perceiving and conceptualizing, yet at some deeper level I have, to a considerable degree, come to realize that these painful reorganizations are what is known as learning. My vision for my uh, vow to make mistakes with gusto is like a gymnast, those gymnasts that do those floor routines, which are so amazing. And they just run at top speed and just sort of hurl and flip their bodies in all these different ways. And then at the end, stick the landing and shine over here and shine over there and over here. And it's incredible. And the harder the routine is, the more likely that they might crash. But even if they do, if they completely make a total wreck of it, they have to, at the end, be like, ta-da, yep, I did that. Hello, thank you very much, and, and really own it, even, even if it was a complete mess. And even just this, this gesture, this open-hearted, completely vulnerable gesture. Just owning it. Ta-da! I'm a person. I'm a person in a process. This is it. Can we give ourselves this compassion? If I can give it to myself, then chances are I'll be able to give it to you. If I'm training the mind of compassion, cultivating and growing my compassion for my own humanness, my own foibles, I can open my arms to mine and yours. So we have to practice atonement and acknowledge the times that we fall short, the times that we fail, the times that we inadvertently hurt people, and practice forgiveness for ourselves, for others. How else are we going to do this together? There's a Lutheran pastor uh, who I admire greatly, Weber. I'll, I'll think of her name in a moment. She goes to the new, newcomers' uh, 
brunch for their church. And after everybody goes around and says how excited they are to join the church and why, why they love it so much, she, she says, thank you very much. Welcome to the church. We will disappoint you. I will say something stupid and hurt your feelings or somebody will say something offensive. We will disappoint you. And I hope that when that happens, that you stay and that you stay to really work with what happens then, which in her tradition, she calls it the, the, that's when Jesus does the work between the people. So Audrey Shenandoah's people's word is acknowledge. Ours is appreciate. And for the Onondaga people, I'm thankful you are well. This is acknowledgement. Which is like for us, our, our loving kindness. I like to think about loving kindness like a boat. This is a metaphor that came from someone named Rebecca Dixon and how all four of the divine abodes work together, that meta is at the prow. We let kindness navigate our life, and the oars are loving, um, I'm sorry, the oars are uh, sympathetic joy and compassion. And then the rudder is equanimity. So what's wonderful about leading with loving kindness, because it's, uh, it's everybody. People we love, people we don't love, people we can't stand, everybody. Indiscriminate, doesn't matter. And then we have sympathetic joy and compassion. Compassion for when people are suffering, sympathetic joy for when people are doing well. I think we kind of get compassion. I feel like sympathetic joy is sort of the, um, like if you, if you were rowing a boat and you had one stronger arm, you'd go in circles. And I kind of think we do that. We don't really practice much sympathetic joy, but it is uh, taking joy in other people's success. Ayakema talks about how there used to be in certain villages that they would ring a bell in the square when something good happened. I think that's a fine idea. We should totally take that on. But you know what? This is a lot like the Shrine of Vows. The Shrine of Vows is a lot like that. It's an antidote to the stream of tragedy and a celebration of what's best in us. We do this. And finally, I want to point out, I found another quote by Audrey Shenandoah about burnout. And any anybody that has anything to say about burnout, I'm interested in it. She, <laughs> she's really, she's talking about how we have to do this together. Uh, but also just her attitude towards burnout was amazing to me. She says, um, she finds the concept of burnout completely incomprehensible. She says, I don't know what being burned out means. I can understand being tired, but after having a peaceful night of rest, everything's okay again. I'm always thankful for the things I still can do. I have a great feeling of caring for my community. My community isn't just here at Onondaga, it's the Haudenosaunee 
and all the people all over the land. So thankful. I'm always thankful for the things I can still do and a great feeling of caring for my community. And that sounds like a recipe for a meaningful life, a sustainable, meaningful life. Perhaps you experienced this connection in your groups in formulating and discussing these issues around vows. The beauty and, I don't know, privilege, treasure? Yeah, Sangha treasure of, of having spiritual friends. What a gift to have spiritual friends, to, to connect, to witness, and to be witnessed, to listen and to be heard, feeling with another person's heart. It makes it real to know we're not alone. How can you find a community of others who share your heart's aspiration? Maybe, maybe you'll be disappointed too. But in the process of that, you'll get to practice patience and forgiveness and gratitude and learning and wonder and kindness and relationship and growth, all the heart aspirations. There's such a richness. And it's messy. Yeah, beautiful. So I'd like to close with a poem by Rumi called That Lives in Us. If you put your hands on this oar with me, they will never harm another and they will come to find they hold everything you want. If you put your hands on this oar with me, they would no longer lift anything to your mouth that might wound your precious land, that sacred earth that is your body. If you put your soul against this oar with me, the power that made the universe will enter your sinew from a source not outside your limbs, but from a holy realm that lives in us. Exuberant is existence Exuberant is existence, time a husk. When the moment cracks open, ecstasy leaps out and devours space. Love goes mad with the blessings like my words give. Why lay yourself on the torturer's rack of the past and future? Why? 
Why lay yourself on the torturer's rack of the past and future? The mind that tries to shape tomorrow beyond its capacities will find no rest. Be kind to yourself, dear, to our innocent follies. Forget any sounds or touch you knew that did not help you dance. You will come to see that all evolves us. If you put your heart against the earth with me in serving every creature, our beloved will enter you from our sacred realm and we will be, we will be so happy. Thank you.